Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together, each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Good morning, gardening friends. You are with the team. We are all here and special guest in the studio, John Benner-Savage, president of the WA Fern Society and also owner of the beautiful gardens. Many of you may have got the opportunity to visit last weekend. Good morning, John. Thank you for trekking in. Good morning, Ray and Faye. Thank you for having me. And good morning to the listeners as well. Yes. No. He didn't have a choice, Ray. He's in a moon boat, oh, no. so I kidnapped him at <laughs> he 7 o'clock this morning and threw him in the car. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. And, yeah, it, it, what can we say about last weekend? It was just spectacular. It was. The over, feedback. Over, we were oh, over, overwhelmed. Yes. Um, we had over 800 people. And a good a good weekend is three hundred. <laughs> so even on the even on the day that was pouring with rain on Sunday, mm. people were coming with their umbrellas and raincoats. It was it's, just amazing. It's just rain, isn't it? It's not going to stop keen, a gardener. Keen gardeners. Yeah, not going to stop it. The a real gardeners, rain won't affect them at all. Yeah. But it was beautiful. I got there yeah. early on the Sunday morning and I, I almost had the garden to myself. I wandered out that would in have the, been beautiful. the pathways with my umbrella, taking videos and photos and yeah. it, it was magical. And what happens after an open garden, there's a vibe in the garden that hangs around and yeah. it's, it's happiness and it's just, it was a drippy Sunday morning and yes, to watch those people come up the driveway in their raincoats with umbrellas was just an awesome sight. Yeah. And also, somebody made the comment, it is rainforest after all. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it would have looked spectacular with the glistening from the rain that we did have. Yeah. And I did think of you guys. But it, it, sort of, it just dried up in the afternoon, didn't it, as it well? Did. It did, from about lunchtime. It, exactly. It, it stopped raining. Yeah. And so it made it more comfortable for everybody. Yeah, so there, no. There were a lot of curtain listeners there too. I spoke to a few people <laughs> and they said, oh, we listened this morning and came yeah. along, so it was good to meet them too. Yeah, because the ladies at the gate did say to me that they were asking people how they knew and radio in general was coming up very high and curtain radio uh, particularly. So uh, we're very happy with that, aren't we, that we're reaching our listeners and getting them to go and see good things. Mm. And what were the final numbers, John? It was uh, just over 800. Fantastic. So it was, yeah. 500 uh, through in six hours on yeah, the Saturday. Yeah, 500 on the Saturday and we had 300 on mm. Sunday. And I dare so. say, you know what, if it hadn't been raining, I know. there would have been, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. It would have been, yeah. I so John... Have, John's calendar has filled up since then with people who were planning to go on the Sunday and have rescheduled. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> I had someone ask me that question and I said, no, you're a private garden. And It is a private garden, but um, I have had a few people that who actually asked me to if they want, could want come. have a viewing. They're small groups of people. But, okay. Um, yeah, if they want to at some stage. I mean, 
they would have to make an appointment. Of, of course. course. To make sure. so, Gosh, but, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and tell us how much you raised, John, and well, how you did with it. The, with the gate takings, because uh, I get a certain percentage of the gate takings, and um, also there were pottery sales there, which they per, uh, donated some money as well from their sales. And the people who are selling the plants, um, they also donated a percentage. And uh, Shirley with her paintings, Shirley Fisher. And also um, there were a couple of, Another one of my friends was selling uh, Bug and Bee Hotels. Yes, and, yes they um, were great. And someone was selling pot hangers, you know, the, the uh, made out of uh, local timber. And from the uh, kitchen sales as well. So uh, all up, we raised just over $6,500. That is fantastic. So and who a, does that go to? That money is divided equally between the Royal Flying Doctor Service, which is just around the corner. Yes. And the other half goes to uh, Doctors Without Borders. It's one of the charities that we support. So, But we wouldn't have been able to do this without the sort of huge... We had over 35 volunteers. The team, the team. The team, the team. I know. I mean, we would never have been able to do it without them. They were just unbelievable. Yeah. And I really have to say... You had some great Big helpers. And Big I have this image of Faye. She was in the kitchen and she had a little hairnet on. And, yeah, and it was just, you know, great to see. No, well, it wasn't great to see. But, Ray, you should have been there on the Friday. We had this little team of team of workers there to make sure that everything was in, in order. Tickety-boo. And I was a bit worried because in my big shade house, the the, the slabs in there were a bit uh, yucky with um, algae growing on them. Yeah. And I was a bit concerned about someone might slip on them. Yes. And then there was this call out to say, have you got any wire brushes? Yeah. I said, yeah, I've got some wire brushes. And then they are, here they are all on there, including Hands Faye. and knees. Hands and knees scrubbing all this algae off. Yes. And I've never seen the paving look so clean. So, oh. was just... Over the moon. I mean, these people. <laughs> Nothing they won't do. Are they horrible? I yeah, is that I, a word? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get down on my knees because of my no. moon boot. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know how you carried on with your moon boot and oh. and one of the other gentlemen, one of the other owners of the property, he had uh, his arm in a sling and I just thought I, I, I would have a melt, literally a meltdown it with was, that sort of pressure. It was quite hilarious. Yes. <laughs> All right, 94841927. Today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Now, we're also having a chat today to our friends at the Wildflower Society of WA. That will be at 8.40. We're chatting with Dave Bright. They have a uh, special sale on next weekend at Lansdale Farm, and so we would like to find out what's going on there. Lots of rare plants uh, available that you simply cannot access normally. That's right. It's going to be there. Members Mm. of the Northern District Society uh, get together on a regular basis and they Mm. propagate these plants and they've got an outstanding display um, and sale, plants that you can't get anywhere else. And, of course, now is a great time to be planting tube stock because you take advantage of the rains. We've still got some warm weather Cool nights and drippy perfect. days. Perfect. Mm. Yeah. Now absolutely. there's something else on this weekend, Ray. Uh-huh. So just in case our listeners are looking to get out and about, so different from this time last year when we had just gone into lockdown, everything was cancelled and we were locked up in our homes. We came so, here. 
This we was did. Our, we this did. was our outing, right? <laughs> yeah. And we were on our own in the studio, we weren't were. we? But today and tomorrow, from ten to four, or until three o'clock tomorrow, the cactus and succulent have their autumn show at the South Perth Community Centre. It's on the corner of South Terrace and Sandgate Street in South Perth. There will be a huge number of plants on display and for sale. You can talk to the growers. You can take home a few gems. The kitchen is open for tea, coffee, snacks and sandwiches. And there is FPOS available. Now, I do like this. The plant crash is in operation. A plant crash. <laughs> a plant crash. So I guess that means you can buy and put your plants aside and pick them up on your way out. Love that. Or do you take your plants along And get from them home? nursed. You know, I Marie condoed my shade house recently, and that's where, you know, if you're decluttering, you go through and you hold everything. Honestly, those plants are not going anywhere I love each and every one of them, Ray, and they're staying. John loves each and every one of his three million plants as well. I know. They all have names. I know. It's extraordinary. Okay, so you just can't bear to part with anything. No, I've just shuffled them. I've tweaked their pots and topped up the potting mix and give them all a liquid feed. And the plants are looking stunning. The rain and the warm weather, the garden's just booming. Yeah, it is. It's, It's wonderful out there. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. If you saw the garden last weekend and you have a question for John, don't be afraid to give us a call and have a chat. Love to talk further about that. There was so much more to see and to learn there. <laughs> there were so many people when I was there. It was like you had to keep sort of stepping out of each other's way. You know, it was just, it was like that. And uh, and I was conscious of, you know, when you're driving and there's a car behind you and you've got to keep moving. <laughs> it was like that with someone behind me and I had to keep thinking, oh, I'll, I'll come back to this because I was being pushed along. You know, there were so many people. It was fabulous experience. Because the garden just goes and goes, doesn't it? I know. It? There's so much to see. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I know. It's, it's far, far from what. Uh, a normal person's garden is done. I do not know, and I've said that before, how you do it, how you do what you do. Yeah. Oh, it's it's one of those gardens that's evolved over the years. And, uh-huh. um, but I do have difficulty now trying to find a place to put a plant. Well, in the garden. Is, in the yeah. garden. It, yeah. um, <laughs> it's you... become so, I mean, there's so many plants there that, that there's hardly any spaces left to um, I go around the garden with a pot in my hand and, and walk around two or three times before I can find find what, somewhere find for it somewhere to, go. to go. That's hilarious. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, what, so what's mm. it like when you dig a hole? Like if you do find a space, what is the pocket like? Uh, it's usually um, lots of root system mm. from from other plants, but uh, crowbar helps. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah, you make a hole. <laughs> make yeah. a hole, yeah. but I basically just make a hole big enough for the plant that I'm putting in there. I don't worry about trying to have to dig it much deeper. I mean, it's impossible. Mm. But would you believe that that it's a typical rainforest type um, garden in that the, it's only that uh, twelve. In the old, you know, twelve inches or thereabouts, or even less than that. Um, what did I say? Two hundred millimeters. Yep. Beyond that, beyond that mulch area, it, the ground is quite dry and and just very sandy. So it's a typical rainforest. So you find that that happens there too. So, um, so all those plants are surviving on that that layer. So that's it basically. I mean, okay, the 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 big palms and so forth, they've got the root system much deeper, but most of the other plants are just sitting on the surface really. Mm, it is interesting, isn't it? And 
over the years, you've cut down a lot of cocos palms. How, what mm. was the number that you you had lopped? Well, I had 36 cocos palms in Good the grief. garden, and they were very mature plants. And um, not only were they causing a problem because of the foliage mm. sort of getting stuck up there, but they also were causing a problem in that a lot of the plants were suffering underneath because of the they were creating too much of a canopy. And so, anyway, the final decision came about two or three years ago to have them all removed. So, and that was a big job in itself, of course. Absolutely. But almost immediately, all the plants that were struggling for many, many years to survive went uh, Yahoo. They were almost uh, thanked me. Mm-hmm. That was like a sign of relief, you know. And all of a sudden, overnight, they just went crazy. So that's that was like the turning point in the garden, really, that allowing that light, filtered light, through. to come through, mm. and the garden has flourished ever since. So, so for people who don't know John's garden, there are towering palm trees mm. and and a couple of other assorted trees dotted through. Yes, dating back forty years. Yes, and then underneath there's layers of cycads, some of which would be yeah. well over thirty years old. Yes. Uh, you've got large macadamia tree and and avocado and native frangipanis. Um, there's a mixture of of trees there, and so you've got this sort of like three four layer levels of the garden. You've got the tall, then you've got the medium, then you've got the smaller one, then you've got the tiny ones, and it's on it goes. So and so the cocos palms are not self cleaning palms. The fronds no. would get old, and they would have to be mm. trimmed. They mm. wouldn't fall naturally. Whereas a lot of the other palms you've got are self cleaning. Yes. So they drop. Alexander their... Alexander and the Bangalore palms. I have mm. I have. Uh, I'd hate to think how many of those I've got, probably 50, 60 maybe or more in the garden. But they're self-cleaning, so they're they're just fabulous. But I must say, the cocos palm is a fabulous palm. It's just that it really belongs out in the botanic botanic garden or out in public open spaces perhaps. Not in people's necessarily backyards. No. Mm. Well, the odd one or two is okay, but not Mm. when you have 36. No. (laughs) Gee, that would have been a job bringing them down. Oh, we had a fantastic man who came and climbed the trees and chopped them down and Whew. dropped them for me. And mm. There was very little damage, Ray, and yeah. now a lot of those trunks have been left uh, about yeah. our height. I've left them, them about two metres high, the trunks. And decorated and, them. And decorate them with plants that cli- exactly. climbers and philodendrons oh, and all those of the monsterias, yeah. um, hoyas, all sorts of things can, can and then the ripsalis on the, ripsalis, the top. Yeah, you can do all sorts of things. Bromeliads, you can attach mm, to them. Of um, all sorts of things. So, when you, with your garden, I know it's evolved over many, many years, yep. and that's a true garden that has been when it's established the way that yours is. Uh, where did you originally source all your plants from? Well, originally it was. Would you, you're a collector, aren't you? Yes. When I mm. arrived there forty years ago, I only had forty pot plants. <gasps> what? Yeah, 40. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I started collecting more or less straight away. I mean, I joined the Palm and Cycad Society, and we were growing a lot of plants from seeds in those days. So um, so that's how it all started, really. And um, it was almost like a miniature nursery at one stage. So I started planting a lot of them in the garden. And then once they started establishing themselves, I did plant a lot of native frangipanis around because I needed that canopy because Janica gets very, very cold in wintertime 
and a lot of frost as well. So uh, I had to create some sort of a canopy to protect those plants. So once that sort of started happening, um, then I realised that I needed to fill in the, the gap. So I, then I ended up joining the Fern Society. And, <laughs> Yeah, um, and then I started story. getting. You know, I went to Queensland and saw a rainforest over there, and I thought this is fantastic, and I would like to do that Janicot, and and then I started collecting all these other tropical plants and subtropical plants, and I mean I've had failures too, yep. and and, uh, <laughs> had, and but there again I've had a lot of success as well. So, mm. um, but yeah, I just I mean I'm just just love all types of plants, and you know orchids, bromeliads. Um, it's just frangipanis. Frangipanis. I mean, anything that looks good. Like I like textures mm-hmm. and and different types of color foliage. And, Me too. Um, uh, it's just evolved over the years. So, you know, Are you done? Are like, are you finished with creating a garden? Do you just no, sit you back and never do that, Ray? No. <laughs> You're always experimenting. Just a cheeky question. Mm. <laughs> A garden is never finished. I read in your notes to what I found interesting where you've had areas with certain uh, displays of ferns, etc., where you're saying that even you don't touch them very much. You yeah. know, please, because yeah, you're saying to people, please don't touch. Yeah. Uh, even I don't touch them very much. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I mean, as a rule, we don't yeah. touch the ferns anyway. I mean, you uh, put your hand underneath the frond and just careful. lift it to have a look, but. Basically, yeah. you don't touch them, no, because you might have some oils and so forth on your hands and do some damage. So you're very specific. I like that. Mm. Okay, we'll go to a quick uh, break. When we return, we're chatting with Diana and Colin. Curtain Radio. 24 minutes after 8, you are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Straight out to the lines, we're chatting with Diana in Tapping. Good morning. Hi, Diana. Hello. How can we help you today? I just want, I've got a query. I've joined a Frangipani Society. Yes. And um, I want to know how I can, what's the easiest and best way to graft one branch onto another tree so I get a multicoloured tree. Ah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the best person to tell us about that would be Nellie Tarchek, Um because she has talked about that. She's talked about creating a rainbow tree and she says it's easy to do. Now I can put her back on my list of guests to have on the show for your benefit, Diana, if you would like. Thank you. I, or can I get a phone number for her? Or? Uh, yes. If I if we put you back to Bev, I can arrange that for you. Um, the awesome. other thing is it, it's probably something that you visually would benefit by seeing rather than have it described to you. So if you have access to the internet, there are YouTube videos that you could access. Yeah, no, I don't have internet ah, at all. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, yeah. And I suspect that now wouldn't be the time going into the cooler months. You really want to take advantage of the growing season. So right. it would be as the weather warms up. Yes, right. I know when I lived in Darwin... I did it once in Darwin, but uh, I don't know if I did it correctly, but I did get a different coloured tree on top wow. of another one. Okay. So all I did was just slice down the thing, uh, down the stem and slice down the, the middle of the tree and just popped it in and bound it and right. I left it. And yes. It yep. But that's so... Darwin is utterly different to Perth. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's more just about the timing and that's exactly what grafting is, matching up uh, the size and doing it at the, at the right time and hoping yeah. for the best. Well, look, if you could put me back and I can get this lady's number because I can talk Frangipani to her as well. Okay. All right, I'll do that. And also, Diana, uh, we have a lady uh, giving us a fabulous $75 voucher each week. Uh, Kerry from Bigger Trees, they are frangipani specialists too, which is Bigger Trees up in Pickering Brook. So if you wanted to give them a a phone call, uh, speak to Kerry, uh, they will guide you. Oh, thank you. A couple of options there. We will put you back to Bev. Yes, there was one other question. Is it too early for me... My all my rose bushes are just looking so ungainly. Is it too early to trim some of them back a little bit? Uh, it's it's not too early, and I would. The approach I'm taking to mine at the moment is simply removing the deadheads, and yep. not encouraging new growth. You are not alone in that. Your rose bushes are looking pretty average. We've right. had a lot of discussion over the last weeks about a pest that's right across Perth called the chili thrip. Yes. Now, yes. the good thing is that with the wet weather, with lower Cooler night climate. temperatures, the the pest cycle, uh, which in hot weather can be two weeks, is now down to three to four weeks. So right. that's giving plants a chance to recover. Now, I was talking to John about this this morning because we see a lot of evidence of really bad problems across Perth where the new growth can become almost asparagus-like with tiny buds distorted, shriveled and blackened. Now, I think I've had evidence of this in my garden for about 12 months and I can see damage that I put down to, you know, a sucking insect probably 12 months ago. But because it was on the older leaves, I discounted that it was a problem. But my buds are now smaller and I went looking the other day with a magnifying glass and I have found a couple of tiny little insects. But I've also found two praying mantis in the garden and ladybirds and ladybird larvae And what I think is happening in my garden is that I have all these beneficial insects that are always there that are helping to keep things under control. So I would never resort to a a toxic chemical on my plants. The other thing that's happening a lot at the moment, the leafcutter bees are out there and they're using the leaves to make their nests. So once again, I don't want to spray anything on my leaves that will be taken and used for nesting material for leafcutter bees. Yep. So what I'm saying is just slow down, just watch what's happening in your garden. If you are a non-insecticide user and you have plenty of flowering plants to bring in beneficial bugs, then I believe the balance will happen in the garden. Remembering also that we have a lot of birds come in for insects. So yeah. we're looking after the whole cycle, the whole ecosystem, if we don't resort to to insecticides in the garden. If you can be patient, I know you won't win a rose competition right now, but Mm -hmm. I do think that if you just hold up with the weather changing, that things will work themselves out. I don't believe any 
um, if I trim anything like the uh, rose, dead roses or the leaves off, I don't leave them on the ground. I pick them up and I put them in the bin. Yeah, um, exactly. Because I think that's better. But I do, I'm getting a lot of birds around at the moment and it's lovely. Yes, right, yes. I'll, I'll ask the lady the name of that uh, woman that can help me with the frangipani. Thank well, you. You'll have to leave your number and I'll have to get in contact. That would be lovely. Thank All you right. so Put, much. Putting you back to Bev. Okay, thanks, Diana. Thank you. All right, now let's go to Boyer. Colin, thanks for waiting. That's all right. Uh, good morning, team. Uh, I have a query on some mysterious palm-like uh, plants that are appearing all uh, uh, in a lot of different locations over my uh, garden. Uh, I was wondering uh, if I could talk to your uh, guest. John, Good. yes. John. Yes, good morning, uh, Good morning. Uh, I live at, uh, in the, uh, the face of the range just outside uh, Midland and, and uh, Boyer. Now, I've been living here for uh, 50 years, but I've been getting these almost like a, a, a zamia uh, popping up in odd places. Uh, and I'm wondering... Can these palms be spread by bird droppings or is, uh, because they're in the most unlikely places, in they're, one of them is amongst, a, uh, or two of them, amongst a, a big uh, shore juniper. Uh, I've had them growing under a camellias uh, and I've, I dug one up many years ago and it sort of had like a, 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 a bulb on the bottom but the leaves uh, are like a zamia, if you like, but they're deeply ribbed when juvenile. Um, is that? Are you able to uh, sort of help me as to why or where are they coming from? Uh, because... Yeah, I doubt it whether it would be a um, zamia seedling because they're quite large. And, yeah. Um, I well, when know. I say these things now, well, one of them is... Uh, Stands about a meter high. The other, I've just noticed, I've got another batch on the way, and uh, and it's in imported soil because the property originally was an old uh, dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, I've you know, been uh, on the side of a hill, I've shifted dirt all over the place. But uh, in that time, but I've just, uh, I, I, I just uh, stumped as to. How the devil they've got where they are? Uh, I mean, I, I have had uh, other plants, you know, from bird droppings. That's all right, but I didn't think that would happen to these because you would need to have a fruit. I would have thought. Mm. There's no evidence of, you know, that some of these seeds could have come in with that soil that you might have imported, um, and sometimes they can take a number of years before they all develop. The conditions. Yeah, are well, right. these have been developing uh, at odd ones for yeah. probably. The only, the only thing I can suggest, Colin, I'm not really sure because I mean uh, I have a million seedlings at my place. I mean when the yeah, bangalows yeah, and the yeah. and the uh, bangalows and the um, Alexander drop their seed, it's almost like a carpet of seedlings coming up everywhere. And yeah, I, well as I, I say, I've only got one palm, and uh, uh, I don't know. I think they call it a ponytail palm. It's, mm -hmm. Three metres high. That's, uh, that's the only uh, 
it could be could be um, also the other one I was thinking of is the cotton the common cotton palm. Uh, it could be, and the birds may be dropping the seeds from that as well. The, you know, the parrots would be dropping those seeds, and that could be. Yeah. Cause the juvenile one doesn't look anything like a like an adult palm. Uh, the only thing I can suggest, uh, Colin, is possibly if you can get, if you can, you take some photos of the of the well, I'll, seedlings. I'll, I'll get my wife to, to take some uh, photos. Yeah, and if you can send them to Faye at Curtin. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I can probably try and identify them for you, and we'll see what the, what the, what the palm yeah, is. Yeah, it's just is. one of those. I, I'm leaving them if they're not in the way because I've got a bit of a wild garden anyway. Mm. But I'm mm. just intriguing how they how they're getting because I've got one growing under a, uh, a giant. Um, the other one, not a cedar, the, the other the golden... So, Colin, uh, don't don't worry about that for now. If we can get some photos mm. uh, sent okay. to us, do you have a, our email address? Uh, what, my email address? No, our email address to send the photos oh, well, I, to I, us. I can ring and get that, yeah, yeah, from... Uh, um, okay, I can put you on hold and Bev can give it to you. Right. Okay. If you grab a Just pen, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'll grab we'll, a pen. We'll do that. Thanks, Colin. Okay. Thanks, Thank you very much. Thank Cheers you. for that. All right, let's move on. We're in Henley Brook. Peter, good morning. Good morning to you, Faye and the team. Hello, Peter. My, my problem is with avocado, you know. I had I planted an avocado plant in my garden about 10, 12 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. It is growing and growing. And I trim them, trim it regularly. But it doesn't seem to be flowering. Once I saw a small strand of flowers coming out and then it dropped off, died and dropped off. So what is the problem with my tree? Is I it... do not know whether it was uh, planted from a seedling or whether it was, from, whether it was grafted. Well, that, that is part of the problem, Peter. A seedling can take, they say, 10 years 15. to flower, but <laughs> 10 to 15. But it, it doesn't mean that it's going to be the, the best one. And the other thing about avocados is they have a complex sex life. So the flowers are both male and female and they will open up at different times. So it will be of an advantage to have a second plant if you really want avocados, my uh -huh. best recommendation would be that you buy a grafted plant. The benefit being uh -huh. that they will fruit within probably two or three years, and that okay. will be of benefit to mm. to your large established plant. Okay, okay. Okay. Now my yeah, my second one is with my apple tree. I have couple of apple trees I bought and one had flowered the second time and what the apples are they say it's small apples enough for to fit it into a a lunch box for children. Okay. But and I have about five apples on the tree. They are bigger than a small cemented marble but they are smaller than the, a golf ball. Oh, yes. <laughs> when do I pluck them or is it not the right time to pluck them? Well, 
one would think that it would be better to wait for them to get to a a, a size um, that's very, very small. Are they all clustered together, Peter? Yes, they are. About uh, four or five of them clustered together. Right. I suspect you would probably want to thin them to about three. That would help. Okay. Uh, because, yes, having five small fruit isn't as good as having three bigger size fruit. So, yeah, yeah thin, thin it by two um, so that you've got three and wait patiently. But I tell you what, I think you better get bags on them because the the birds will eye them off and you will get nothing if they're not protected. Yeah, one of them was bitten up by a bird. Ah, well, get rid of that one. Yeah, they've fallen down. But the others, I plucked one of them and I ate it. It's very crunchy and beautiful, you know. Okay, yep. All right. Well, that's the other option. If If they're ready and they taste all right, do it now and do it today before the birds get them. Okay. Can I ask you one more small question? Okay. My uh, orange tree, it is a mandarin. They have, they've got fruits on them now, but the leaves are all curled and with black dots in them. I sprayed them with, um, what is that called, to kill them, but they don't seem to be... Going off, they are always there. When the new leaves come on, it is full of those black things. Okay. I've got one minute to answer your question, Peter, before we have to go to a break. So at the moment, this goes for anyone with citrus trees across Perth that is putting on new growth. It is very likely that your, your new growth will be affected by a little moth that lays its egg the egg hatches inside the leaf layers and it is a little yellow grub. If you go out, you can actually see it between the leaf layers and it's called the citrus leaf miner. So you can oh, that's it, that's you can squish it between your fingers. Uh, you can spray, but that isn't, it isn't guaranteed. You can buy traps called citrus leaf miner traps that attract the males and that reduces... The, the moth infestation and the breeding cycle. So that will be a help. Or you can just simply go out and cut those affected leaves off. They don't usually affect the tree terribly much, but that's it and you're not alone. Thank you for your call, Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Quick break and when we return, we will be chatting to Dave Bright from the Wildflower Society. 100.1 Curtain Radio You are with Ray and Faye and our special guest this morning, John Banasavage, uh, fame from the Open Garden last weekend and also president of the WA Fern Society. Now, online, we have Dave Bright from the Wildflower Society of WA and we're talking about an upcoming plant sale next weekend and what you could find. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hello, hello, Ray, and and John. And John, yes. Good morning. We we've seen each other recently. I bumped into Dave in John's garden the other day, and John was there too. (laughs) Morning. (laughs) (laughs) I've done best for just a couple of days. I was only there on the 
find somebody else. But unfortunately, I was still on the rain. That's uh, I just get that time that was. So, Dave, your your phone line is um, breaking up quite a bit. I don't know, obviously, where you are, um, but I'll just see if we can try to keep you still or in a different position, perhaps, to uh, that improve the signal. I'm sitting in my car. Um, car. Is that any better? A little bit better, yeah. Thank you. So, so Dave... I guess the guys up at the uh, Lansdale Farm have been very busy in recent weeks. We have, yes. We've, we've been um, getting our plots um, ready for sale. It's, it's been a very good um, growing time with the weather being reasonably warm for, for a couple yeah. of months and then cooling down a little bit. So that gave us a chance to, uh, to harden the plants and ready for our sale next week. Okay. Um, so how many varieties have you got up there for sale? Um, we probably have in, in larger numbers about two hundred different species, wow. and in in slightly smaller numbers, we'd have another one hundred and fifty to two hundred. So, in, in total, some some people claim three and five hundred um, different species. So, I believe you've got some rare ones there: a bronia and a a wedding bush. We have. We, our volunteers are very interested in growing a lot of different things and they go looking for, for ones that, that we haven't grown in the past. Yes, we, we have quite a few new ones this time. We're very pleased about um, You mentioned the Baronia. Um, Bruno Baronia, it's, it's a real, real plant. grows in a very small area um, on a bow on the south poles. So you know what, Dave? Um, the call line is so bad. Is it possible for you to go somewhere and call? We'll call you again in a couple of minutes and try getting a better line. Okay. Yes, I can do that. Okay, because that's what we'll do. We'll call you again and uh, see if we can improve on the line because it's a, it's very difficult uh, to decipher what's being said. All right. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank okay. you for that. All right. Okay, and. We will do that shortly and see if we can actually get Dave back and, and, and hear properly what he's got to say. Meanwhile, what I thought I would do is we have a $75 gift voucher, compliments of Kerry from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Now, if you'd like to win this voucher, you must not have won a prize on Curtain Radio in the last 28 days. And you need to be a Curtain Radio member. So you need to quote that member number to Bev when you call in on 94841927. Uh, the question is, what did Faye say the wild pollinator count encourages people to do in their garden for 10 minutes? This was something that we discussed last week. What did Faye say the wild pollinator count encourages people to do in the garden for 10 minutes? Compliments of Kerry Biggs, a $75 gift voucher to go wild with. You can certainly get something rather lovely for that. And Bigger Trees is the leading provider of frangipanis, ornamentals and fruit trees in Perth. Okay, now we will call. Dave is back on line five. Okay, we're going to try it again, guys. Forgive us. Dave, are you there? Hello. Yes, I am. Oh, oh that, that is, is so much better. We just, yeah. Oh, Wonderful, thank you. No worries. So, now where were we? <laughs> I was I was talking about the the uh, yellow flowered um, baronia, the rare baronia. I don't know how much of that you uh, you caught. 
Um, yes, it's one of our new new ones. We're rather pleased to have. It's a rare plant. Um, mm. It's the one we've we've had for the first time. Your uh, listeners are probably familiar with with the um, rather beautiful red baronia or the or the beautiful smelling brown baronia. Yes, she's fairly similar. Has a similar um, size um, upright, but this one has has beautiful clean yellow flowers. So. Uh, that's one of the new ones. Well, Dave, I know a lot of people love baronia. How how would you grow it in a garden? What sort yeah. of uh, area would it like to be in? Can anyone grow it? Well, it, this comes from the south coast. So it hasn't been in cultivation for very long. So we don't really know how it will behave in gardens. But because it comes from a rather harsher area, Unlike the the more popular baronias that are come from the jarrah forest that require a little bit of looking after and tend to be short lived, we hope this one will be able to tolerate a little bit more sun, um, less water, and will be a little bit longer lived. But it's ideal for, for we think it's ideal for growing in the, in a pot. What, a, what in about a, in sandy soil? Is that sort of the area it came from, or limestone area? How coastal? It came from sandy areas, not limestone. Um, so yes, growing in, in sand, it's it's worth trying in the ground in perhaps um, slightly sheltered position. But um, my suggestion would be initially to, to try growing it in a in a large pot. Okay. Yep. Good. And the wedding bush. Yeah, this is uh, this is another interesting one. Most folks would understand wedding bushes to have beautiful bright white flowers that's what it gave it its original name this one however is a little different and it has gray foliage and has yellow flowers mm. now it's the uh, the scientific name is ricinocarpus volutinus and volutinus means velvety because the leaves themselves have uh, have this sort of velvety hairy um, um, feel to them so another new one we know, again we don't know how it will behave in the garden, but the wedding bushes do tend to be um, quite hardy, so we think this will be uh, be the same. Um, grows to possibly sixty centimetres, although in the wild it can get to two to two metres. So another one um, worth trying. I see. I see here in your notes um, there's some specials in larger pots. The Hibertia hypercoides, which I know is a beautiful yellow buttercup. Flower and Pamelia spectabilis. Yes, we we do have some in in in, in larger pots. The um, Hibertia, the yellow buttercups, is a little bit difficult to to propagate uh, from seed. We've had a little bit of success from cuttings. The uh, the Pamelia, uh, the common name is Bunjong, uh, it's an Aboriginal name, but this is a beautiful plant from the Jarrah forest and doesn't do very well in Perth Sound. So that's been grafted. Right. We have um, um, one of our members who's very keen on grafting, and he's actually been teaching a few others of our members. So we're starting to have grafted plants uh, available. Um, we have some aromophilus, some emu bushes that have been mm. grafted. And so, Dave, it's a good time for listeners to get hold of some natives and get them into the ground now? It certainly is. This is this is the best time to to plant. Just coming into winter, the soil is still warm, 
and once there's a bit of moisture, then the plants establish well. Um, if you can get them in for the uh, the rainy season, give them a bit of moisture, a bit of water, extra watering over summer, and then you've got another winter of rain, and that gives them the best chance to getting uh, established. And, of course, our native plants, the, one of the main benefits is they attract local wildlife, birds, animals, butterflies, insects, etc. So the plant sale is on next weekend, uh, April the 24th from 9 to 2 o'clock. So it's one, uh, one day only at Lansdale Farm, corner of Lansdale and Evandale Roads in Dutch. We hope you had a wonderful weekend, Dave, and look forward to lots of people getting up there. Thank you very much. It's lovely talking to you and looking forward to it. Thank okay, you, go well, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay, quick break. When we return, we're chatting with Ken in Mindari. Five minutes to nine. Coming up at 10am will be George Minoldi and the classic... 60, something to look forward to from 10 o'clock. Straight out to the lines. We're in Mindari. Ken, thanks for waiting. Morning, Ken. Good morning. How are you? Uh, well, I'm all right. It's the grass at the front of the house that's not. Oh, dear. What's happening with your grass? Well, it's a, it's not actually a weed. It, it looks like uh, grass leaves when it, they pop up, but it's this uh, like snaky stuff that goes across the lawn. Ah, is it a different type of lawn that may have come in with a, a lawn mowing contractor? Well, yes, I suppose it could have done because the, two or three years ago we used to have a, a lawn man coming down. But uh, Right. So is it just... Starting off sort of in little bits and, and you ignore it for a little while before you know it, it's yeah, snaked across your lawn and starting to take over? Yes. yes. Right. The worst thing about it is that it goes into the actual garden soil and so, comes up the, uh, like the diasma and things like that. It sounds like kaikuya almost. Mm. Um, which is very easy to pull out, but it can go a long way down and it can be quite invasive. So hand pulling is one way of managing it. Um, yeah. What sort of lawn have you got? Well, <laughs> grass. <laughs> okay. Is it a mix? I don't know because it's what the uh, developers put down. Oh, Okay. Um, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence, I'm afraid. Um, buffalo. Yeah, mm. sometimes if you know what sort of grass you've initially got, so it may be a cooch, there are herbicides or products available that will knock out other types of grasses, uh, but it, it helps to identify what you've got. So perhaps you could send in a photo or get a lawn mowing contractor to have a look at what you've got. And it's not a it's not a runner. It wouldn't be buffalo runners or something like that. Well, it's, it does sound like a runner. It mm. sounds like uh, a different type of grass to what's in there. So he may have cooch there, and this is a broader leaf with a runner, and hence why it's weedy. Can you take a picture, Ken? I can do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, because what I'll do is I'll put you back to Bev and she will give you our email address and you can send it to us and we can have a look. Oh, good. Yes. How's that sound? All right. That's good. Okay, I'm going to put you back to Bev now. Thanks, Ken. 
And of course, in cases like that, Ray, where people have got the odd weed or clump of something happening in the garden, I know we don't like to use herbicides or weed killer products, Mm. but you can go and dob, just spot touch the the problem where it starts. And that would be using something like Roundup or Zero. There is also Slasher, which is... um, giving good results it certainly kills off the top and if you've got a strong healthy lawn and you've got that actively growing that will knit and help overcome the problem now next weekend too we'll be talking to eva ritchie about the the sod worm web worm army worm that is very prevalent across perth at the moment yes it is and uh doing a lot of damage yeah so for for gardeners if you're out in your gardens this week Tomorrow is the last day of the Wild Pollinator Count where I would ask you to take your cup of tea out into the garden, sit down and look at a flower for just 10 minutes. So the Wild Pollinator Count has been on for many years and it's gathering evidence of what and who our pollinators are because everyone thinks honeybees are the be-all end-all but there's native bees, there's beautiful flower wasps, there's flower flies, moths, all sorts of insects and butterflies out pollinating plants. And in so doing so, if someone sits for 10 minutes and watches a Pacific flower, then what? where do they report it? To the Wild Pollinator Count and they keep a database. Yeah. They're also on iNaturalist where information is gathered and it's calling on citizen science to, yeah. to um, bring about... Results and information that are shared and and more understanding of our ecosystem and the natural environment. You know I'm passionate about it, Ray. Uh, Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) We all are. Okay, nine o'clock news. Right now we're sitting on 20.3 degrees, heading for a mostly sunny day and a maximum of 28 and the minimum overnight will be 13 and a sunny day tomorrow too with a maximum of 28. And for Monday, the minimum overnight from Sunday to Monday will be 10, partly cloudy and a maximum of 23. And our researcher John also gave me the current rainfall. We're sitting on 23.2 mils, which is pretty fabulous for April in comparison to last year, this time last year, 13.2 mils. And the average is 33.4 mils. So fingers crossed we we do get our average uh, rainfall in April. It's looking Quite good, guys. Yep. Okay. So she'll go straight out to... Oh, she's disappeared, actually. Olga. Give us a call back. Olga. Yeah. Okay. She wanted to know about growing garlic. So So John... John's a super garlic grower. (laughs) God, I love my garlic. (laughs) So give us your tips, John. Well, I'm about to start planting mine shortly. Usually I sort of work around about Anzac Day there onwards. So, um, yeah. Basically, you should really have their soil fertilised a couple of weeks beforehand. Yes, get it ready. Get it ready. Tell so, us about what fertiliser you use. Oh, I just use a bit of animal manure, actually. Just a bit of uh, sheep manure, a bit of uh, uh, chicken manure. All mixed Not, up. All mixed up together and just mix it up in the soil. You don't actually don't bury it. So I've seen surface. you growing garlic in your tall raised beds. Yep. So these have already been prepared. They've probably grown another crop. What? Yes. What did you have growing prior to prior planting to that, garlic? I've got two beds. One's going to have just the beans are just about finished. Okay. Run, uh, dwarf, run a be, uh, dwarf beans. And then I've also got another bed that's had lettuce in it. 
So they're just about finished, so they'll be just ripped out and uh, quickly fertilised and, and uh, ready for the garlic to go in. So um, I would select the largest of my... I've got a huge amount of garlic hanging up in the garage, so I would select the largest of the bulbs. Mm. Um, when you're doing that, you don't actually clean. You don't clean them. You don't take the skin off. You just leave the skin on. And, of course, you put the, the root base part in the ground, of course, and I'd say about half a finger depth in the soil. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically, you can actually grow them quite close together. Um, but, yeah, I normally put in a couple of hundred bulbs at a time. So. And that, strike that, rate? Pretty good. Oh, pretty Very good. good. Excellent. Yeah, they'll, they'll be up. In with this warm weather, in the it, the, the soil's warm, in within a week or two weeks, that they'll they'll be reached, they'll shoot. And mm. keep them weed free. Do you mulch when yeah, you plant? Yeah, weed free. I don't like to mulch them. I like to leave them um, just the bare soil, and uh, they don't, don't like any weeds. They don't like any competitions. So. No. But uh, and just a bit of fertilizer, liquid fertilizer throughout the the growing season. Process, so. yeah. So when you say liquid fertilizer, what sort of? Um... I, I just use a liquid power feed, or there is lots of lots of them out there, especially for vegetables and so forth. So as a well. complete so, liquid yeah, complete for flowering fruit, and yeah, fruiting plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how often would you do that, John? Uh, I do that probably every three, four weeks, um, and I don't over fertilize. I actually just do use a weak solution. I'd use about half strength. Half strength. Half strength. You can half strength often. And how much water way. through winter? Uh, usually you just rely on the winter rains mainly. Um, Until it starts to warm up yeah, and the yeah. rains. And when, they, when the garlic does get to a point where, I mean, usually by towards the end of the year when you let you try and keep them dry with the soil dry, you, don't, you take, take a reticulation system off them. So you let them dry out a little bit while the bulbs form properly and then you can pull them up and hang them up. And, and so when would you harvest? Generally, uh, generally, I think it's around about September, October. It'll depend on, on. I just keep checking to see how the bulbs are going. Uh, if they're filled up, then the, you can start eating them before. Then you don't need to worry about sort of harvesting them. You can actually harvest, or well, you can harvest them before they're. Well, I've seen ready. garlic scapes for sale in the supermarkets, where mm. which is just the the flowering. Some yep. of the garlic will yes. come up to flower, yep. and they cut those off. Yep. And sell them in bundles like chives. Mm. And eat it, yeah, beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Lovely and fresh. Yeah, gorgeous. Love that. Okay, you know, we didn't have any takers to our gift voucher this morning, so I hope you've been listening because we've already given you the answer. If you'd like to win the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees, here is the question. What did Faye say the Wild Pollinator Count encourages people to do in their garden for 10 minutes. That's our question. Not to have won a prize on Curtain Radio in the last 28 days, and you must be a Curtain Radio member. Give Bev a call. I'll repeat the question. What did Faye say the wild pollinator count encourages people to do in their garden for 10 minutes? We gave you the answer about 10 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> okay. Now we've got some emails, Ray. Yes, let's and, do it. And these are from last week. So apologies to to uh, people who sent in emails and we didn't get to answer them. It was an incredi incredibly busy show. We had Ellen and Kathy in. We were talking a bit more about the chilli thrip and Kathy mentioned a recipe for lactobacillus serum. Yes. And every time I hear, you know, people with pest problems, 
I keep thinking about this this recipe and the use of molasses in the garden and I wonder if that could be the answer to problems that are difficult to control in an in organic environment. So in in the veggie patch, for example, where exactly. you don't want to use anything yeah, exactly. that's problematic. So mm. yeah, I'm I'm keen to make up the recipe myself mm. and give it a go. Now this is from Bill and he his question is titled Locate Life. He has a healthy locate tree which produces an abundance of fruit. The question is, how can I extend the life of the fruit on the tree? Is there a product I can spread around? Lovely fruit, but only uh, lasts for a few weeks. And and exactly true. It it comes into to ripening mm. and lasts a few weeks now. I always try and beat the birds, but whatever's left at the top of the tree, they can have. And just to interrupt, we have a prize winner. We have a prize winner, everyone. Thanks for playing with us. Okay, carry on. Um, the the locate fruit is lovely. We in Jandicott don't have problems with fruit fly in the fruit, I think, because it gets so cold, but the birds do come in. Now, around August or July, August, the fruit starts to ripen, and the only solution I've got for you, Bill, is to harvest the fruit and preserve it. So turning it into a lovely jam. The jam mm. actually tastes a bit like apricot jam mm. or chutney because yeah. I I like to have I was thinking chutney. Uh, mm-hmm. savory things with cheeses and oh, sandwiches. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um so that's that's my preference for locusts. Do you, John likes to do a lot of pickling and preserving. Do you? I just love locusts. Yeah. Oh, they're lovely just fresh off the tree too. Oh. I I have a quite a big vegetable garden and some of the fruit trees as well and I have the same problem you know you have you have far too much produced at the time so you have to look at alternatives make all those pickles and preserves freeze them also give them away to friends that uh, you don't let it go to waste. No, we all exactly. we used to access the locust tree when we were growing up. Do you remember? Yeah, so well, it's a memory, isn't it? It and, is a memory. And last season, I got my grandson out there helping pick locusts, and mm. it's it's a great climbing tree too. Yes, so yes. enjoying all facets facets of it, and yes, giving it away to people who also love locusts but don't grow the trees. Exactly. So sharing it around. Now, I don't know if we talked last weekend about a couple of the other emails that that came in uh, over Easter and this was from Nissa who witnessed skinks giving birth to two youngsters in her garden and she said there's always something wonderful to see mm. when you have a wildlife friendly garden but this was outstanding and what a beautiful moment to witness anything giving birth. Yeah, she loved it. Mm. Yes, Last well weekend, done. Andrea sent in Andrea from Success sent in a photo of some beautiful bird's nest fungi that popped up in mulch in her garden and they look like like little chocolate drops scented in a little um like a patty pack patty you know the little chocolates you get mm. in a little paper patty tin yes tiny yes, little ones yes. that's they're smaller than that and they've got the little chocolate buttons sitting inside them Nature's decorations are amazing. Now, she's also concerned that people are throwing affected waste into their green bins. Mm. Now, we did talk about this last weekend with Kathy. Her concern is that people 
are bagging a lot of things in plastic and dropping into the bins. My understanding is that the green waste goes to a composting facility where it's dealt with because the heat in the biodigesters kills everything. Mm. Um, if you are killing off infected material, you would bag it and leave it in the sun for four weeks. So this applies to things like the gall wasp. Now, very timely. People should be checking their citrus at the moment. You'll see the leaf miners, but the citrus gall wasp will have already laid its eggs. They will be in the stems and the stems will be starting to swell. If we see that? If you see that, and you you need to keep checking over the next two months, so, well, April, May, June, and you cut it out. I know that there was a segment on Gardening Australia where, where they, they used scraped a, a potato peeler. Yeah, that's right. Now, when you, when you reduce a plant stem, you reduce the flow of nutrient to the end of the stem. So if that stem is supporting fruit... Mm. The quality of fruit at the end of the stem is going to be compromised because part of the bark has been stripped away. I feel that you would be better off cutting ahead of that and removing the section, cutting it up, putting it into a bag for four weeks in the sun and letting it solarise. You have to be the best judge of that. So just cut the holes. I, I think so. Cane. I think so, Ray. Yeah. Because if you, like I said, you reduce the ability and the quality of the fruit at the end of that anyway. stem. So you might as well cut it out. Right. And I'm assuming okay. you've probably, you know, got an opportunity to leave a good amount of tree behind. Because this growth will be on the newer stems. Mm. They lay their eggs into fresh new growth where it's soft. So it's not going to be in your hard woody areas. It's going to be more out towards yep. the new growth. Yeah, yep. okay, so perfect. everyone needs to be looking for that now. And citrus were one of the things that potentially could be affected by the chilli thrip. So yes. just check out if, if you have got damage. I know on some mm. of my leaves there is browning and there seems to be more distortion than normal. So I I will be removing that and I will put it into a bag and leave it for four weeks. Mm. I don't want to put plastic bags in in the waste bin mm. because, you know, we're trying to be more sustainable as well. Now, grubs, this was an interesting one. And this was sent from Corinne of Hammersley and she is composting in a tumbler. And she sent in a photo of they're actually larva of soldier flies. And these are Good great recyclers they they're a wonderful thing to have as part of your waste management system because soldier fly larva will break down more than worms more in quantity and more in variety so they will will eat meat citrus dairy any anything you throw in that bin they love bread uh, they're shy. They love dark places. So if you put in layers of cardboard mm. and you've got soldier fly larvae in your compost pile or worm bin, you can go hunting and you'll see them hiding between the layers of cardboard. They they hatch out as a fly, a soldier fly, which is quite long, quite slow flying. And these flies you won't find in your kitchen hovering around your food. They'll be mm. outside and the adults actually don't have mouth parts. They die within a couple of days. 
the, oh. their sole purpose, purpose in life life is to mate and breed to reproduce and the soldier flies are wonderful i actually wrote an article about it some years ago for the backyard aquaponics magazine fascinating who would have thought i'd be breeding flies and um, loving it yes well <laughs> <laughs> and we have a, a a winner to our gift voucher eve arnold from osmond park congratulations eve and uh, don't forget to let us know when you receive your voucher and you go and to have yourself a bit of a shop up at Bigger Trees, what you come home with, we like to know. We, we, sure we live do. our lives through everyone else. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've continued to get more emails about the chili trip, Ray. I'm sorry, everyone, I seem to be repeating myself all the time. John did do a compilation of conversations we'd had with experts about the chili trip, mm -hmm. and that can be found on our podcast. Now, I'll go slowly because last weekend when we were at John's Garden, I met a lady named Helen and she recommended that perhaps we need to have a session about how people can access our information and our podcast. She said there's a lot of people out there that would love to be able to find the podcast, but they just need slow instructions yeah. and they need to be shown how to do it. So mm -hmm. it would be wonderful if we could perhaps have a library talk somewhere uh, and and help our listeners find access to the podcast. Gosh, know, it sounds, it I shouldn't be that hard, should it? It shouldn't be. So what, what you would have to do, and I don't mind repeating this, is go to the Curtain FM website. So just Google Curtain Radio 100.1 FM. That will take you to the website. There is a tab at the top called programs of the home page when you open it up mm -hmm. and when you click on that it will bring drop up a down. drop down box mm -hmm. that says let's talk gardening click on that click on that and it will bring up a window if you just click around there you will see the podcast you'll see soundcloud and that is where you will find over 60 podcasts including one all about the chili thrips and each week we we talk more and more about it so of course um i find myself going back and listening to information of course yeah uh, just to recap what i said last weekend mm. and double check myself okay so coming up we've got the perth garden festival in a couple of weeks gosh we just bounced from one fabulous thing john's garden to the perth garden festival <laughs> doesn't get any better oh, i know well we missed it last year right and we so did. It's going to be at uh, Langley Park, and uh, I think it will be, from all reports, an absolutely not to be missed event. Yes, well, Langley Park is a different venue, and there's yeah, they've they've just put out the um, the exhibitors and the layout of the the show. There'll be parking on site, I believe. Is that right? Because parking was a, a question mark. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and obviously public transport is a good option as well. And, uh, yeah, you, you're talking there? Uh, yes, I'm doing a talk. It's called A Home for Everyone and Everything in Its Place. And every day I'm out in my garden and I'm looking like I really want people to understand what is habitat. You know, it's a big buzzword, create habitat, you know, but people don't know what it is. What it means. We go, we go into the garden to plant our new season vegetables and parts of it might be looking a bit ratty. But what do we do? We're inclined to go in there and hoik everything out. 
not recognising that that old parsley plant that's flowered and gone to seed... He's doing good things. ...and it's still got its dead flower head there. And you look closely. There's there's a few aphids on there because they've come in to help break down the plant at the end of its life. But then, oh, there's some ladybird eggs there and there's ladybird larvae and there's mating ladybirds mm. and there's a praying mantis and it's a brownish colour because it's camouflaged with that dead flower head. Mm. It's all happening in your garden. So don't You're be asking inclined. people to be more observant. Mm. Mm. Don't be inclined to pull out everything. Like if you're not sure about something, um, have a closer look. Sit and watch it. Take your magnifying glass. What you see might not be what you think, think you're seeing. You know, often people look at their roses and they think they're seeing aphids. They don't realise that in amongst that there's a hoverfly larva or a little lacewing larva patrolling around or different ladybirds mm, as well. There's holes in hydrangeas from little borers and mm. native bees nesting in there or the buddleia that's gotten too old and it's it's still wearing those old, thick, brown canes down the bottom. Mm. But those pithy stems They're are in home mm. to native bees as well. And sometimes mm. people put bamboo stakes in their garden and wonder what's flying in and out of the end. A native bee is building its nest in there and capping off the end. Mm. So be mindful about what you're pulling out, what you can leave behind. When I prune my hydrangeas now... I see things that I'd never seen before. And I think mm. a lot of people don't know about this. So mm. I'll be taking some blown up photos along. I'll be taking examples of things I've found in my garden to help to help people realise what is there that might be in their garden. So for all your fans and followers, what day are you at the show? I'm, I'm there on the Saturday at 2.30 on the gardening stage. Yeah. And there's a whole range of experts each and every day. Uh, but yes, I'll be here on the Saturday morning and then I'll head straight Same in, time. wander around, say hi to everyone. Mm. And um, they've very generously this year given us four tickets. So I will be able to go along each, each of the days <laughs> and maybe take each of my different grandchildren. <laughs> okay, 94841927. Back shortly. Curtain Radio. You are with Ray and Faye and our special guest in the studio with us, John Benisevich, uh, president of the Fern Society and uh, Extraordinary Garden that was open last weekend, which was absolutely breathtaking. Okay, you've got a few emails that have just come in and we've got a few calls coming up on the board, but I'll let you okay. address um, that. So Ken sent us in a photo of the lawn runner that he had. Yeah. He, he thought of it as weeds in the lawn. Um, it does look like kaikuya. John, what would you do with that? Uh, in that case there, I, I would almost use a neat glyphosate um, solution and maybe even just dilute it a little bit, but I would also add... There's a dye that you can get, usually I think it's green or a pink or a red, and add that to your mix. And I would use a paintbrush and just paint over the problem, the, the plant that you're trying to kill. And that way you know where you've been and uh, you know whether you've got everything covered. And um, that dye will stay on there for a few days and then eventually it'll wash off. And of course in the meantime, within 10 days, your, your problem shouldn't be solved. 
So ideally you, you do this when uh, the weed, the problem, is growing actively yeah. because it takes that poison down into its roots and kills it at the base. Yeah. You may have to do it a couple of times, yeah. but best to do it when it's growing. The other thing is to make sure that you're not going to turn your reticulation system on or it's going to rain within six to eight hours. Before yeah, it needs that, to yeah, penetrate, after, after right? That, yeah, yeah, after that yeah. period, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're in Singleton. We're talking about uh, marigolds. Sharon, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we're good, Sharon. Fabo, yep. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just ringing up about the uh, what chili thrip on the roses and the veggies and that. Mm. Now, my mum used to um, plant marigolds. Now, I've done the same thing and I got rid of it. Oh, that's uh, just a sensational right. story. So, I wonder yeah, if on. it acts as a trap plant. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was photographing some um, dandelions or... Yeah, I think they're dandelions that were flowering in my garden the other day. And I got my macro lens right down into the centre of the flower and there were thrips in there. Not Probably not the chilli thrips, but the, the common yeah. greenhouse thrips. And, mm. yeah, I wonder if it's attracted to the yellow. It could be because mm. I've got yellow, orange, and I've got a half pink one. That's new out. Right. But I've put it in the veggie garden. I've put them all around the fruit trees, put them all around the roses out the front and that, and excellent. Okay. You couldn't. Oh, I love I, it. I'm going to add marigolds mm. to my basil and mm. alisum around my roses now. Look, Thank you, it, Sharon. It, it's brilliant. Plus, yep. it gets rid of nematodes in the ground. Yes. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so there's this... going to be a rush on marigolds now, <laughs> <laughs> including myself. Stand back. Right. Okay. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> also, also helps the bees love them too, so so that's another benefit. Exactly. Yeah. Especially yep. in your veggie garden. Yep. And you've got all the birds all over the marigolds, the little honey eaters and that. Yep. Oh, so yes. they're doing their job as well. Yep. And even at this time of year, calendulas they they flower beautifully through mm -hmm. the the autumn and winter. Um, yeah. And they look so bright and pretty, colourful. Very so, pretty. Yeah, adding companion plants to any of the gardens. Yeah, well, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, and I found it excellent. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Thanks, Sharon. Call of the day, Sharon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And you guys have a good day. You, you too. too. Cheers for that. Okay, bye then. Bye. And we're in Mundaring chatting with Margaret. Good morning. Oh, good morning, everyone. Hiya. How uh, are you, Margaret? I'm very well. Just uh, one quick statement. Many years ago, Peter Cundall told us to plant marigolds in our borders because it did put some chemical, its roots put some chemical in the soil, which helps to slow down the invasion. And because I think, um, to talking about cooch invading gardens, oh. bed, um, the marigold roots put some chemicals in the soil that um, help so um, yes good mm. old marigolds right okay yes uh, there will be a rush <laughs> yeah. well I did try it for about two or three years but then I can't remember what happened and I sort of got out of the habit the um, qu quick question about the soldier ants and your cardboard to um, give them some habitat to breed where was the best place for the cardboard? Uh, not soldier ants, soldier fly larvae. Pardon, soldier. 
um, in in a worm farm or compost pile. Oh, because okay. it stays moist. But you know, when I used to go looking for the soldier fly larva in in a biopod, um, the layers of cardboard would often find them sheltering, or they they would sneak into the corrugations if they were big enough. So it was just where it was dark and damp. That's where they like to be. Oh. So how do your soldier flies get into the worm farm? They, they were... only need the tiniest of gap and they tend to lay their eggs up above the food source and then when they hatch, they drop down and the food source is, yes, uh, rotting, rotting food, organic matter. Uh, they are gross feeders. And in fact, if you put your ear close, you can even hear them crunching away. <laughs> yum yum. <laughs> uh, well, talking about um, flavour, like at trees, um, the chutney is absolutely yes, to die for. Special mm-hmm. the recipe out of the CWA cookbook. Aha, uh-huh. is magic. Very good. Thank That's you for that, Margaret. I'm, I've had a problem because the last two years, my locat tree um, hasn't produced any fruit because I have somebody who comes and bites chews off the entire grape form like bunch of buds Mm. even down to the extent that it'll include one leaf but you know the flowers are in a a grape like form shape Mm when they first appear yes. on the end of the branch and the the flower buds are is only is not even as big as your smallest fingernail. Mm. All right, barriers, and but I bet it's a big tree. Can offer some advice about um, if I did get up a ladder and put some bags on them, um, I was I'm not going to get very far because my locust trees, 25 years old it's still mm. sown and it's about five meters high mm. so the I the only other thing i could suggest margaret would be you know maybe it's time to to give it a good prune to tidy yeah. it up and to reduce it to a manageable size and i think that's the key for a lot of fruit trees like they they can get, get too, too big. big you get it to a manageable size where you can get a net over it easily and still access the fruit yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for your call, we'll Margaret. have to wriggle on. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. Bye. Cheers for that. And we're heading to tapping. We're talking about black beetles. Shirley, good morning. Yeah, good morning. How right. everybody? Yeah, good. Thanks, Shirley. That's good. Um, I've got a bit of a problem. We've just got ourselves a little puppy dog, and we do suffer a lot in our lawn with black beetle, which we've been able to get rid of while the grub. But now we've got a puppy dog and we can't sort of fence the grass off. Is there a pet friendly that we can use or something that we can use to get rid of them? Mm. Are, are you re- well, I'm just I, I'm just worried that it might not be black beetle. Right. Well, um, the beetles actually come off the ground. Well, that's how I thought it was because the actual beetle comes off and it's died at the side of like on the path. Right. And and sometimes you you will see some black beetles. All right. But generally, and Daryl Hardy has said this before, they're not usually a problem if there's only a few. You would have to have a big amount. And if you've already dealt with it, 
once successfully, I'd be surprised if you have the problem again. So I would be wanting to get back to the source of what the problem is. So if you've got lawn dying off, then um, pour over some soapy water and put a towel or something on the top. Any anything that's underneath that is breathing should come up to the surface. And someone that, told me that, and I thought we, they were having me on. No, no. <laughs> well, we want to identify the problem: black beetle and their larvae. Like any curl grubs you find can be of numerous different beetles. So let's not jump to any conclusions. Right. Now, I I listened back last night to one of our podcasts from. 31st of October last year when we had Envirapest on and they talked about treating different problems and it's really important to treat the pest problem at a particular part of its cycle. So number one, we want to identify what your problem is. Number Mm -hmm. two, we target it at the appropriate time with the appropriate treatment. So sorry to take you back one step. Now next weekend we will be talking to Eva Ritchie because there is a caterpillar problem across Perth, sodworm, wedworm and yeah, armyworm. Yeah. So do a bit of investigating this week okay. and see what you can come up with. I then want to know what your problem is, what you're seeing in your lawn and we'll mm-hmm. work back from that. Right, so what sort of soap you want? Just dishwashing? Yep, liquid? that'll do. Yep. And just pour it in, dilute it and just throw it on? Yes. And a towel over the top. Yes. Take some pictures of what you what you find. What I find. No worries at all. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. thanks, Shirley. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, let's head to Mira Booker. We have a garlic comment or question. Jan, good morning. Good morning, ladies. Um, you were talking of garlic a little while ago. I must have left three or four bulbs in last year and they've all come up. Now, can I separate them and plant them or just leave it? Uh, they're re- are they already sh- shot? Have they got the stems? Yes, they're up. At, uh, uh, the green uh, is up about 10 centimetres, 12 centimetres. I would leave them. I'd leave them, yes. Mm. yes. Leave them. Oh, you're going to get one gigantic Yes, bulb. you'll get well, some nice big bulbs. Yes, but I, it will I, I, I have that same problem. You always leave some behind and you think that you've yeah. got them all, but yeah, I just leave them. And, okay, um, thank you very much. That's all I needed to know. But, yeah, but yeah. Jan, plant, plant yeah. more. Plant more, yes. And in a different more. spot. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. Okay, we'll do. Okay. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers, Bye. Jan. And let's head to Mandra. We're talking about the soldier fly. Reg, hi. Hi, good morning. How are you? Well, I'm very well. It was interesting to hear you talk about soldier fly. Ah, why? Okay. Now, do you know about stable fly? Yes. Okay. Now, what does a stable fly do? Probably lives in manure and can be a problem around horses. No. Okay. Now, I'll tell you all about stable fly. Okay. Stable fly live on blood from any livestock and any human being. Okay? Okay. But they, they are determined not... They are so, supposedly not to transmit disease, which I don't believe, because if they bite a cow, then a the cow has brucillus, and, bruce, and then they go and bite a human, 
they can transfer that brucellus to that human because it will be on their proboscis. Okay, now, what a stable fly does is it bites an animal five times before it takes its blood supply. That bite is like giving an animal a 0.8 needle five times. So if 20 stable fly settle on a bull, they bite him 100 times before they take their blood supply, which means he's had 100 needles. Now, soldier fly feed on the larvae of the stable fly. And soldier fly are important from that factor to try and control them. But the biggest problem with stable fly is they not only breed in poultry manure, and poultry manure is a banned, was a banned substance in about 13 different city councils or shires, and the other thing that they breed on is decaying, and I love it, decaying vegetable matter. Mm, so yeah, they so could that's, be that's breeding yeah. in compost bins. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, now when we used to have a bed and breakfast and farm stay in Jinjin, and I was on the stable fly committee in Jinjin, and I served on the Jinjin Council for nine years as well. Stable fly is a massive problem where livestock are concerned because what happens is while the stock are being bitten, the animal will go and stand in water. They will roll on the ground. Um, I have seen they even finished up. They, disp- uh, they killed an emu because they bit an emu to such a degree it bashed its head against the thing mm. till it killed itself. Good now, God. They, so the, so the, the soldier fly is so important in trying to control this table fly. But to this date, no one has come up with an ideal solution. They've tried wasps, they've tried whatever they like. So now you know why the stable fly would have got into her compost bin because they were looking for the larvae breeding in there <laughs> to be able to eat it. <laughs> As well. As well, yeah. Really? Now, you try and tell people from another country when a stable fly bites them that they're not going to contract some massive disease like they can do in other countries. <laughs> so there you have it. But, but the stable fly is, is a, a pest, and the, and the soldier fly, fortunately, hopefully, is one way of helping to diminish their numbers. <laughs> Thank you, Reg. I was so concerned you were going to tell me something really bad. Different to that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I got farmer forest uh, from uh, when I was in Jinjin, and I, I still maintain that it was when I had a, a, a stable fly plague at my place, when I, my cattle didn't breed for two years. I had no calves for two years because of stable fly, Ooh. and I still maintain that I got farmer forest from a bite from the stable fly. Yeah. And, and yet no one will come out and agree or admit that that's, that was uh, the situation. So, mm. yeah, yeah. So, so the soldier fly is a very important uh, insect. Oh, <laughs> like thank you. Like, thank like you. Yeah. No, that's great to hear because often people, you know, as soon as you mention fly, they go, ooh, I don't like flies. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly some very beneficial ones out there. Thanks, Thanks Reg. Much, Reg. We appreciate your call. Okay. Cheers. No Bye. Bye. Now we do have to have a short break and we will be chatting with Marion, Dean and Michael on the other side. 100.
Straight to the lines, we are in Heathridge. Marion, good morning. Oh, good morning. Uh, Marion speaking. Yes. I have a passion fruit sunshine special. It's going great guns. Had it in oh, about eight months. Plenty of flowers, no fruit. Mm, okay. Uh, the first step would be ensuring that it's got good nutrition and water supply. Plenty of water and uh, I've given it blood and bone and complete fertiliser and a bit of cow manure. Okay. But not all at once. Okay, no, good girl. Um, mulch is is another thing. Don't, yes. don't worry that the fruit hasn't developed now, Marion, because unless the fruit is a, of a good size now, it probably, well, now's not the best time for it. But what you would do is keep it growing well and in yes. early spring give it a yes. light cutback and that will encourage some new growth and also give it a complete fertiliser that's designed for flowering and fruiting plants. So something with potassium in it, this will trigger flowering and that's the time you want to kick off your flowering and fruiting. So provided it gets plenty of moisture, it's been prepared well, it's got the mulch, there's no reason why your flowers wouldn't develop. It's still young. Yeah, very. So... Yeah, just next season is the season for you. So why do the flowers fall off? Well, different reasons. It can be stress. Uh, The plant's not able to support it, not pollinated. Uh, And I think even the the pollen can dry on the plant before the bees come on some very hot days. And I also suspect that if you were watering in the morning, the pollen might be washed off. Yep. As well. So just okay. keep those things in mind. But, yeah, springtime's the time to really ramp it up and yep. and monitor it. Okay, good. Thank All you right. very much. Thanks, You're Marian. welcome. Thank you. Bye. And let's go to Stoneville. We're talking about Fajoa plant. Dean, good morning. Hello. Hi, how are you guys? Yeah, Great. Good. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. Good. Um, just to let you know, I'm actually in Eniabra at the moment listening to you on my phone. Oh, that Dean. Woo! Yeah. Because I said to Dean the other day, you know, I was told that nobody listens to Curtain Radio on their phone. And I said, no, gardeners do whenever we travel. So. Oh, a mobile phone is <laughs> yep. a very popular way of people listening to radio in general. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, good on Stats you, Dean. Thank you. Because you mm. would have normally been out of range. Yeah, well, you drop out when I go through the dips when I'm travelling, but you come back when I get on top of the hill. Oh, beauty. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's life, you know. Um, Yeah, so I've got a fajoa plant that um, flowers every year but won't fruit. It's the first year when we brought the property about 10 years ago, and that's how I found out they were so delicious, but I'm very disappointed it's never never fruited again since. Okay. So, yeah, adequate water and nutrition is very important. If Basically, what you told the last person is basically, I believe, what I need yeah. to do. Yeah, but in your case, because I know that it, it probably doesn't get as much moisture and nutrition as what it needs, Dean, what you could do is add some clay and compost around your plant and a really yep. thick layer of mulch on top of that. Top and of that. Yep. and that will help hold any of the moisture that it gets. 
and give your plant a better better chance. But in springtime, a, a controlled release fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants will will help. No, that's all right. Fantastic. Thank you for your I'll call, Dean. No worries. Thanks, Faye, and have a good one. All right. You too. Cheers. Bye, Bye for now. And let's head across to Ferndale, talking about lawns with Michael. How's it going? Yes, good morning, Faye, Ray and John. Morning. Good morning. I have, a, <laughs> I have a problem similar to the gentleman earlier. Um, I've got a lawn that's been down some time, so it's, it was probably wintergreen. Yes. And I've got these runners coming across the top it's it almost looks like hybrid wintergreen it doesn't look like a runner of anything else it looks mm. the same as the wintergreen but like a hybrid version was there some talk some weeks ago about the runners getting air roots and, and going across the top i think this was a case of possibly not being mowed often enough Correct. and or mowing short you need to mow right shorter mm. right right because obviously I mean, coming up in patches yeah patches all through because if you've got lawn that has the opportunity to grow up and a runner across mm. it takes some yeah. amount of time so what that tells us is it hasn't been mowed as regularly as as you would yes, to I, avoid that. I do it quite. I do it quite frequently, and the blades are, are quite high because I was trying to stop all the um, seed blowing across from the regional park across the roads. You mm. know, so the, the grass is quite tall. When you say it, frequently, what do you call frequent? Weekly. Okay. Well, that that is pretty good. I know some of the lawn enthusiasts would actually be mowing twice a week or right. even every second day. I'm not, I'm not that enthusiastic. No. And, no. and also, Michael, to mow the lawn from different angles. Yes. Yeah, yes. is very helpful yeah. as well. I, I, I've seen that. But it's mm. just, um, I, I had some memory of this stuff growing across the top. With It, it looks like wintergreen, but a hybrid version of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, perhaps mowing a little, well, shorter. Yeah, okay. Because... I was, I, was, I was trying to stop all the weeds coming in over the next few months, that was all. Well, yeah, it is a catch-22. Your lawn will, will slow down now. Yes. With the, you know, the so change of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you, you might find that weekly is okay now that it's slowed right. down. But as Ray said, cut from different angles. Okay. Yeah. All right, then. Okay. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we'll be back in a moment. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Now, we've got some comments on the board. We will go through them. Adrian of High Wycombe, with regard to the passion fruit query, he said that we need or the, the listener needs more flowering plants to attract bees. And there's another comment about passion fruit from Neville in Kelmscott. Don't over-fertilise passion fruit. Once a year puts a raw liver at the base and covers with soil and a slab. 
I You yeah, like I, that too, don't you? Well, I never plant a passion fruit vine without a slab of liver underneath. My dad taught well, me that. I'll, I'll go against that because I never used it. I've got oh, two passion vines and I had over a thousand fruit procs from my two vines this year and I just used a little bit of cow manure. That, that is <laughs> called one-upmanship. <laughs> I know, 1,000 passion fruit, no less. Yeah. And it's growing along a gate that opens as well as your new rabbit-proof fence. Yeah, well, you are just the man, John. I'll just he's, move he's, over. He's the bee's knees. And Rosemary in Thornley asks if we could describe the soldier fly. Well, it it's about an inch long. It has stripy legs. It flies slowly. Mm. And it's got a long body. So a lot of people, if they think about what a fly looks like, wouldn't perhaps think. This is a fly. a fly. And it's got the the big compound eyes mm. with the little antennae, which is um, so typical. Legs. Yeah, when you get up close. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Hemetia elucens is one of its names. Don't need to know <laughs> that. I'll stick with soldier fly. Uh, look, it's been a really lovely morning, John. Thank you so much uh, for hobbling in with us today, moon boot and all, and congratulations on last weekend. Your garden and skills are beyond credit to you incredible amazing breathtaking there are you know not enough words to describe what you do and for the for the gardening industry as a whole so we appreciate it very very much and of course bev daring and john glidden uh, behind the scenes uh, keeping keeping things churning and of course uh, the fabulous Faye Akaro. Alright, now my gardenism for the morning is autumn the season that teaches us that change can be beautiful Now George Minoldi is up next with the classic 60s and from 12 noon we do go country with Brendan T and Born in Boots Anything you'd like to add Faye? Well we've still but you know we've, what? We're one minute early <laughs> We've only got four emails left. I'm not even going to go into them. Next week, we'll be talking to Eva Ritchie about uh, pest problems in lawns. The Cactus and Succulent Show is on this weekend. Where's that again? At the South Perth Community Centre, corner of Sandgate Street. Where they hold the fair. Mm. Okay, that will be fabulous. Haven't succulents just gone through the roof in the last few years? They have become very, very popular. You're a succulent man? Uh, I have become one. Yeah. Did you see I, his succulent garden behind the I have got a small succulent garden and it's really starting to take off. Take and off. and um, yes, I'm becoming hooked. Yes. Yes, look, um, <laughs> better late than never. Yes. I, I know yes. of a few people that have uh, just uh, found the passion of succulents and uh, yeah. I think they're fabulous. And fabulous for inside as well in the right positions. I've got a few. Well, Ripsalis are one of the... I have um, them indoors. ...come under the banner of cactus and succulents. They certainly do. Do you think there'll be some of those at the show? Yes. Just... Yes, I do. Mm, yes. Okay. All right. Well, enough uh, enough scuttlebutt from all of us. Uh, thank you for your company and happy gardening, everybody. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.